Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Lieutenant General Retired Ben Hodges from the Center for European Policy Analysis, he joins us from Frankfurt, Germany. Josh Cantros, cybersecurity attorney. Major Bill Myers, United States Marine Corps retired, who joins us from Indianapolis. And Mike Miller, economist from DePaul University, who joins us from Billingham, Washington. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us. Our program tonight live from our facilities, the Salem facilities in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Phone lines open at one 800 723-8289. Again, as we have had for the last several weeks, we've got some really great credentialed guests uh, with you to share uh, their knowledge with us. And uh, uh, I, I want to begin with Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, who once upon a time headed uh, Euro- the European uh, Army for the United States. Uh, and my question to you, uh, Ben, is... There's been a lot of uh, publicity, obviously, and focus on Kiev, with whether the capital Kiev will fall. But most of the action appears to be, and some of the devastation appears to be, in Maripol and also in the southern region uh, by uh, by Crimea. And so my question to you is, what what makes uh, Maripol so important that uh, it appears that, according to published reports, the Republic uh, the uh, the Russians have already gained control of that city? Yeah. Um, Bruce, uh, Mariupol should have fallen in the first two days. Uh, the Russians had all the advantages there, uh, particularly um, uh, their Navy, uh, some of which they brought from the Caspian Sea a year ago through mm-hmm. a series of rivers and, and canals, brought it down into Sea of Azov. And so they've, they've had every advantage from land, sea, and air, and yet Mariupol still is standing it's, it's terrible in there it's humanitarian disaster for thousands of people mm-hmm. it's important though because it is the largest port for ukraine on the sea of azov uh, odessa of course on the black sea is their biggest port but mariupol was really important uh, for export of grain and uh coal and and uh, other large bulk export um, so this this is part of russia's effort to completely isolate ukraine from the sea to, to continue to wreck their economy. Mm-hmm. Isn't there, and I don't know whether it's Odessa or some other smaller city also uh, in, in, in southeastern uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, where the Turks have some control of the, of the waterways down there, or the sea lanes? So um, that's on the south side of the, of the Black Sea, uh-huh. where the, uh, the, what we call the Turkish Straits, or the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles, which is what connects the Black Sea to the Aegean and, and the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkey was given sovereignty over those straits back in 1936 under the, the Montreux Convention. This is a big deal. This is part of the reason Turkey is such an important ally in NATO, because their control of the straits, um, I mean, without the straits, the Black Sea is just a big lake. But mm-hmm. with those straits, that's why it's so important ever since Catherine the Great annexed Crimea back at the end of the 18th century, is so that the Russians could get out of out into warm water. Mike Miller, uh, Vladimir Putin has said that some of these economic sanctions he already views 
uh, as an act of war. He has said that anybody that helps, uh, you know, participate in providing, uh, you know, support uh, to the Ukrainian government is also viewed as as part of an act of war. Uh, how do you take the the threats that are emanating from Vladimir Putin? Should 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 we get really excited about them, or is it just uh, more uh, Russian, uh, you know, verbal bath bathing? I think it's a bluster. Uh, I am glad to see that the United States is not getting involved militarily in terms of putting any troops on the ground or anybody in the air. But the uh, sanctions, I think, are one way to let Russia know that it's done something that the entire world community thinks is atrocious and it's going to have an effect. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the problems I wanted to ask the, uh, Ben about was, you know, who do we believe when we hear things? It's really hard to figure out because I've read everything from these sanctions have um, have had some minimal effect at the moment, but others have said that the the economy of Russia will fall by the summer. And I'm not an expert on that part of the world in terms of their economies. But when you're removed from the banking system of the world and you're removed uh, many of your, uh, your ability to finance and things, that can destroy uh, a modern economy. And there's no, and the, the ruble of course is collapsing. Um, I have, there's no one to blame for this, but, uh, but Putin for, for sure. But, you know, the thing that bothers me, uh, I, I, both in the economic sphere as well as the military and the social in terms of how the people are doing, uh, is the I just don't know who to believe. Um, that's one of maybe the advantages of social media. You can actually see it. Yeah. But we're not getting that much from what I can tell in terms ben, what of do social you think? media that gives me some evidence. What do you think, Ben? Well, um, Putin, of course, intentionally has has created a blackout so that Russians can't see what else is going on outside um, about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, and most of the Russian population, particularly the older demographics, they are completely hooked on state-run TV. And and so, um, I, but there are stories that are that are trickling out a little bit of, as people discover that they can't do basic things. You can't even you know, use your PayPal for right. basic type. And, and so, of course, I want to see these oligarchs, I want to see them suffer, uh, lose these massive uh, real estate things they have in New York and in London and all that. But uh, what's really going to lead to a, con a conclusion of this fighting, I think, is when all the average people, when, when their yeah. life begins to, to suck because of, of these sanctions, and then finally some sort of pressure uh from the from the population on, on the kremlin that i think this is this is going to be important now of course you know the kremlin will spend this as see this is this is the west trying to attack us um so we're, we're in a very very challenging information uh, battle right is now. this is this a way in which putin and instead of be, feeling pressure uh you know, against him, as you just stated, could he use these sanctions? Uh, I'm going to describe these as sort of the day-to-day -day sanctions. I mean, when you go in and you have your Visa card or your MasterCard card or you can't get a McDonald's or a Coca-Cola, I mean, these are things that the average Russian will understand. But will, will Putin use that as an example of the big bad United States taking popular products and popular banking op options away from him? Will, will he turn it against the companies that are stepping up and, uh, uh, you know, standing up to Russia? 
Yeah, certainly uh, that's exactly what they're going to try to do. They'll have to do that yeah. to protect themselves. But um, today, uh, Ukraine is, uh, there is a sort of a grassroots information effort going on from Ukraine. Uh, probably half of the population of Ukraine has relatives, contacts, friends, mm -hmm. colleagues, or customers in Russia. And they're still able to, over WhatsApp, uh, through the phone, and various other things, mm -hmm. uh, to, to communicate to them. And, and so it, it, it feels like it's picking up some momentum. Mm -hmm. The Ukrainians reaching out to their Russian counterparts saying, hey, let me tell you what's going on here. Yeah. We got a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I'm Bruce Dubon. Thanks for joining us tonight. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm gonna make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, General, when you were on the program a couple of weeks ago, um, I don't think there was a, a top-of-the-mind discussion about uh, air support, uh, whether it was a no-fly zone or even the, the, the new idea, which is to have a NATO country basically loan uh, their, their fighters to uh, Ukraine to fly. So my question to you is, uh, what are your thoughts on those two various ways that uh, Ukraine could be served by uh, having uh, flights that could stop or create their own uh, no-fly zone? So I uh, signed a letter along with a few other older retired guys uh, advocating for a uh, no-fly zone, a modified no-fly zone that would at least protect like humanitarian type efforts to, to let people get out of cities mm-hmm. um and uh, i have to tell you I've, I've really struggled with this because you know like everybody you watch every day you see the murder of innocent ukrainians cities being blown apart it, it's absolutely horrible uh, and so you want to do something but then on the other hand if you can step back a little bit it's very hard uh, from the emotional the human side of this mm-hmm. and think strategically obviously uh, we want to avoid a situation that would lead to an escalation of this already terrible conflict. And, and to a no-fly zone means you've got to enforce it. You've got right. to have airplanes up in the sky, so you're probably going to have U.S. or British or German against uh, Russian aircraft. Uh, and we would never put our pilots up if we weren't also prepared to conduct what we call SEED, suppression of enemy air defense, to to strike air defense units on the ground, whether mm-hmm. they would be in Ukraine or even in Russia. Right. And then, of course, we would also always be prepared to go in and pick up a pilot who was shot down, who may have actually come fallen to the ground right, with a parachute inside right. Russia. So mm-hmm. you've got a lot of um, bad possible outcomes. So you have to take that into consideration. But for me, um, most of the damage is actually being done by artillery, rockets, and cruise missiles that are launched from ground systems and from the Russian Navy, less so by the Russian Air Force. So a no-fly zone has all the risks, but doesn't necessarily solve the problem. And so I think our efforts got to be on giving them the things needed to be able to destroy these long-range systems. Mike Miller, one of the concerns, obviously, and I'm going to let the general respond to this as well, but I want to start with you. Um, is is the possibility of World War III. And the President of the United States is the person that uses that term. He uses World War III. Some of the other generals, maybe, that did not sign the letter that Ben just referenced, uh, they use it. It's used on, 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 on Fox. It's used on CNBC and on the networks. Um, how do you feel about the use of the term World War III as a threat to basically support a position that says we're not going to provide planes. I think that's a perfectly fine argument. I mean, I always try to find which argument would convince you of my side of an argument. I happen to agree with that. I do not think uh, as much as I think Ukraine is a fine place and I've had Ukrainian students and so forth. Uh, Ukraine is a European problem. It is not one in which the United States should become uh, involved militarily. Support, like they, like Ben is talking about, makes perfect uh, sense. Uh, economic sanctions make perfect sense. But anything to avoid a, a direct conflict between two, two nuclear-powered 
uh, countries, especially one. Now, here's what we don't know. Is Putin uh, sly like a fox or is the man nuts? Has he just has he lost it? And of course, we hear both sides. And the last thing you want to do is to poke that particular bear especially over something which but isn't to that, me isn't is not that, the most important you know it, it's not a threat to the united states isn't that the fear in every case that we've been involved in hitler was a nutcase uh you know saddam hussein was a nutcase saddam milovich was a, a, a you know a, a, a bad guy making the enemy a a boogeyman or a crazy man i mean we had people in the media th- were trying to say that donald trump was a crazy man because they disagreed course, with yeah. him and he was you know off the reservation I mean, isn't that standard operating procedure, General? That you got to make you got to make the the enemy uh, a boogeyman who 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 might create World War III. Well, I I uh, actually try to think uh, from a strategic sense. You you talk about interests and you talk about geography. Uh-huh. And, uh And and I might disagree with uh, with Mike on this a little bit. Um, Ukraine is not an island. Uh, we care about Ukraine. Uh, because of where it sits on the map. Uh, and the Black Sea region, uh, you, you might ask, why does it matter to the United States? Well, we have three NATO allies on the Black Sea region, Turkey, Romania, and Bulgaria. So we have treaty obligations to help contribute to their collective defense, just like they contribute to everyone else's collective defense. Uh, so that that's one reason. Number two, it's about Iran. Uh, the Black Sea region, and Turkey in particular, is a bulwark against Iran. Uh, if you, so if you can step back from the map and look at that, it, it changes how you think about the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. And the third reason it matters, of course, is uh, Russia uses uh, the Black Sea region, and particularly the Crimean Peninsula, as a launching pad for everything bad it does in Syria. Uh, its support for the Assad regime put about three million refugees on the road that caused massive problems across Europe. Uh, it's mischief in the Caucasus, it keeps uh, fires burning in the Balkans, and then, mm-hmm. of course, down into the eastern Mediterranean in Africa. It's only possible because Russia has uh, illegally annexed Crimea. Mm-hmm. So this this is about much more than just um, uh, Ukraine, and you know, we we can't fail here. If we fail, if the United States, with all of our uh, economic, diplomatic, and military power with us plus the members of NATO and the European Union, if we cannot stop Putin from doing what he's doing there, then I think the Chinese Communist Party are not going to be too terribly impressed with anything we say about Taiwan or South China Sea. Mike, your response to that? Yeah, I, I Ben, everything you say, it, it makes perfect sense. It's just, I, I, as an economist, I look at things at costs and benefits, short run and long run. And I just think that the the uh, long run cost of, of trying to be the policeman of the world, um, I think that Mr. Trump was correct that Germany and others should have been more ready for uh, more prepared in terms of their militaries. And there are going to be horrible things that happen in important places of the world where the United States should not put blood in treasure, uh, especially if it has the potential of morphing into something much more horrible, such as. Uh, an exchange between two nuclear powers. I, I, should the Russians worry about World War III? War, and I'd love to see we continue Mike, that. Mike, should the Russians worry about World War III? I mean, you know, uh, Putin says it. Uh, the President of the United States says it. I mean, everybody agrees World War III would be a horrible thing. 
and everybody assumes that it would be the United States responding to something. But, I mean, the reality is that World War III would start with a decision exclusively by Vladimir Putin. I would expect that would be the case. I I know there's a difference between first strike and first use. Some stuff that I read a long time, I'm sure Ben knows all about the difference between the two. And there's no chance that we would ever use first strike. And I would hope in this case we would never have first use. The only time I think it would happen is if the Russians were the ones to start it. But then there's always the question of how much do you what is a proportional response? Okay, General. Do you wanna... go to a, a nuclear response or do you go to a, a, an, a, a very severe, you know, traditional response? General, I want to ask you that question because the, the, the generals that got together that signed this letter, I'm sure they, in their mind, if not collectively, they, they have played, you know, internal war games. So a question that I would ask you is, if there was a Russian plane shot down, by a NATO force in a no-fly zone, where would Russia strike? Where would they make their first nuclear attack? Well, of course, uh, many of your listeners will remember that this has already happened about five years ago when a Russian aircraft that was uh, conducting operations in Syria uh, flew into Turkey. uh, And after repeated warnings, the Turks, a NATO ally, shot that Russian aircraft down. Now, Russia raised hell with Turkey with economic, uh, instant economic pain, but that was the extent of it. So uh, clearly this is not a game, uh, and the stakes when you get it wrong are, are, are going to be terrible, but try this on. Um, while we're all trying to figure out what's really going on inside Vladimir Putin's head, um, I suspect he's more rational than he appears to be, but not in the Western sense. But, right. but from from his own uh, perspective, um, he he does not have a big giant red button on his desk. He cannot launch a nuclear missile by himself. Um, so he's surrounded by people, and I I have a uh, a sense that while there's a bunch of really bad guys there, none of them are interested in driving the whole thing over the cliff. So I actually think it's less likely that Russia um, uh, would would use a nuclear device of some sort. But I have to say, I disagree with, with the president. I've, I've been supporting the president in the first few weeks. I thought we were hitting all the right notes. But the last three days, uh, we have started to lose momentum right at the point where the Russians um, are, are losing momentum, when we should be... Um, foot on the gas, providing everything we possibly could to Ukraine without having direct U.S. involvement in the air or on the ground, um, this constant refrain of, we're not going to have World War III. World War III does not automatically mean wall-to-wall nuclear warfare. In fact, you could say that we are already in the war right now, okay? It's just not in a World War II sense. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I, I think there are some things that are worse than the risk of escalation. I want to hear I want to hear what those are. We do have to break, but you've set us up for uh, nobody's going to tune off the radio now because they want to find out what you're saying next. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Coast to coast, border to border, around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. This is the story of a very special woman. 
In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's that part of the program where we let our guests take a moment to introduce themselves and share their uh, background and expertise, and we're going to begin all the way in Frankfurt, Germany, where uh, Lieutenant General Ben Hodges got up real uh, early to join us. Ben, nice to have you with us, and thanks for getting up early, or staying up late, whatever it is. <laughs> thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> it's just after midnight here, yeah. uh, Sunday evening. So I'm originally from uh, Florida, uh, Tallahassee, Florida, graduated from the Military Academy in 1980, Served 38 years in the Army. Uh, my last job was as commander of U.S. Army Europe. And before that, I was commander of NATO's Allied Land Command in Izmir, Turkey. 
the last four years, I've stayed here with my German wife, uh, German American wife, and uh, we live in Frankfurt. Very good, Mike Miller. I uh, am a an economist, a PhD from the University of Pittsburgh, which I earned in 1980 after coming from lovely Slippery Rock State College, and uh, I I uh, went looking for a job, and I got a great offer from a school in the middle of downtown Chicago called DePaul <laughs> University, and I have been there ever since, 42 years, and they're allowing me to, to finish out my career teaching online, which is wonderful, and I'm doing it from uh, Bellingham, Washington at the moment, and uh, we did find out through the pandemic that professors, as long as you really care, you can become continue to be active with meetings and students and office hours and so forth. We're good. Even uh, from afar. And uh, well, we it's are worked out just fine. We are delighted that uh, your interest also includes participation in Beyond the Beltway because you've been a regular on this program almost for 20 years now, Mike. It's hard to believe, a long time. It's amazing. Yeah, And, and I, uh, as you're a terrific you, as some of it's true of the people on here. I was a fan first. Well, that's good. And when I got that first <laughs> phone call, it was it was almost like a dream come true. And I'd, I'd been on only on one time, I would have been... You know, it would have been wonderful. And I think this is about number 90. Wow. Somewhere around there. But who's counting? So, uh, who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> Back to you, Ben. A question. Before the break, you said that there might be something worse than World War III. Did I, uh, did I mishear you? I said uh, there's, there might be things that are worse than the risk of escalation. Okay. I mean, otherwise, um, right now, Vladimir Putin is dictating all the terms just by threatening new, threatening chemical weapons, threatening convoys that are bringing supplies. And we, are, we have allowed ourselves, uh, as an old commander one time said, don't let yourself get treed by a chihuahua. And so now we are, we are reluctant to do some things. And, and so in the meanwhile, we're standing there and Ukrainian civilians are being murdered every day. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll remember uh, Srebrenica, uh, July 1995. Uh, European troops under a United Nations mandate stayed outside the city while Republic of Serbska forces murdered 8,000 Bosnian men and boys. I just, I, to me, this is worse than the risk of a conflict. And I think if, if we are very clear and we, we have overwhelming power, uh, if we are uh, able to put it together and demonstrate to the Russians that they cannot just continue murdering people while we stand by. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it, uh, go ahead, Mike. I don't want to say puzzles me, but uh, Ben, uh, two things that I would like to, you know, what is the point? It, you look at uh, Kamala Harris. Does, does the vice president matter when she's the voice of the president coming to Europe? And I'm, I'm sorry, sounding buffoonish. I, I, I was almost embarrassed for her in how preposterous her her comments were and then from again from an economic standpoint from an economist we try to make forecasts of my action what will be the ultimate outcome is there any doubt in your mind unless we were willing to go directly to war with russia that russia is going to take over ukraine because they don't care about human life they're going to kill whomever they have to and would it maybe be better to simply uh, I don't know, try to, to strike for peace where it becomes a puppet uh, country. I, I hor it's a horrible outcome. But what's to stop an evil man from doing that unless you want some kind of all-out war? I, and then if, if we don't have leadership, I, I've been pleased with Mr. Biden's decisions not to get us involved. But it's almost embarrassing to have somebody like Kamala Harris go to Europe and 
and just do what she just got done doing. So, of course, um, it is possible uh, that we can stop Putin without having direct uh, conflict. There's, if, if we are providing everything that Ukraine needs and that all of the nations are sticking together, maintaining the same. Okay. Um, I believe that actually we're about 10 to 12 days away from Russian forces culminating. In other words, literally running out of gas. Uh, they have three major problems. Now, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough troops, and they don't have enough ammunition. The time, of course, is a result of part of its sanctions, part of its building uh, a growing public discontent inside Russia. Their people are demonstrating even today in Russia, which is amazing because they know they're going to yeah. be correct. Uh, but yet thousands of people still come out and, and demonstrate their manpower shortage is uh, manifested by the fact that they were um, happy to hear that there might be 16,000 uh, warriors from the Middle East and Syria coming to join the fight. That tells you how hurt and how bad yeah. they are for manpower. And the troops that they do have, the conscripts, did not even know they were going into Ukraine. They thought they were uh, on exercise or else they would be at least be welcomed because they were coming as liberators. So there are some mm -hmm. serious problems there inside the Russian military and the number of troops on the ground inside Ukraine, Ukrainian armed forces actually outnumber what the Russians have. General so there's a and then ammunition wise, the Russians are consuming ammunition way above and beyond what they had planned to. This always happens in wartime. Um, and of course, when you're fighting in cities, it goes even higher. And I think they're going to run out of ammo. So now's the time for us to put our foot on the gas to help Ukraine, something on the scale of the Berlin airlift, and you get this imbalance of Russia will reach its culminating point, what Clausewitz called the culminating point, before Ukraine does. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I, I can only hope that you're correct and that the Ukrainians are successful and this would be a blow to Russia and its, its plan to try to take over that, to, to recreate the old Soviet Union empire which I think is partly in the mind of uh, Mr. Putin, but uh, if, yeah, I, I, I hope that you're correct. I, but what, from a military standpoint, could you put yourself into the, to the, into the chairs and the seats and the minds of, of generals in Germany and other places, France, if the United States sends over a vice president who, who just seems to be babbling, does that undermine your, your confidence in the ability of the United States then to, to support this kind of uh, action? Well, I would have rather seen a, a much more forceful uh, and clear-spoken uh, presentation there, no doubt. And, and I think the administration, uh, we, we mishandled this uh, Polish offer with the, with the mix. Uh, yep. it, 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 to me, it makes no sense that we are not giving, figuring out a way for Ukraine to have aircraft so they can defend themselves. And I don't understand how the, how the administration says it's okay to provide javelin and stinger and endless amounts of ammunition that's not provocative but to, but to give them old aircraft that's in a different category i, I think this is a, a bad policy decision uh mm -hmm. and poland which is an exceptional ally um uh, and is so important for all of us you know maybe they might have got out uh, a little too fast this wasn't coordinated but the administration fumbled this one Would i hope would, would general would would Poland be the likely first target 
of Vladimir Putin um, if he is successful in Ukraine or if he decided that he was going to re uh, react to some uh, U.S. action or NATO action with a nuclear response. Would Poland be yeah. target number one, or do you think there are other countries? Well, the Poles certainly, you know, with a long history in that region, uh, think that they would be uh, a nuclear target. That was some of the apprehension why they wanted to take these uh, MiG-29s and hand them to the U.S. and then right. let Ukrainian pilots come to Germany to the U.S. air base at Ramstein, mm -hmm. pick them up, and then fly them back into, into Ukraine. So because they were concerned that they might be uh, targeted in, in retribution. Um, but I think the, the, the Kremlin does not want a war with NATO. I mean, 30 to 1, the, the comparative economic power, populations, military, it dwarfs. And so that's why Russia has always tried to find cracks, to peel off countries, to, to find ways to divide us. And I think the administration actually has done a very good job uh, of keeping the alliance together. It's one of the best diplomatic efforts I've seen uh, up until the last few days. The more likely target uh, next would be probably, I think, Moldova. Uh, something like that, where Russia wants to continue spreading mm -hmm. their uh, control over uh, the Black Sea region. I don't think they're as interested in the Soviet Union uh, getting back together as they are in the Russian Empire. I mean, mm -hmm. this is, you know, Kazakhstan, Belarus has already had this bogus uh, referendum here three weeks ago right. where Lukashenko was given immunity for life. Uh, Belarus takes neutrality out of their constitution and they welcome Russian nuclear weapons into Belarus. That's a bad outcome. Right, right. And if I could ask one quick question, let's assume that this idea of getting the planes to Ukraine makes sense, and this is what we want to do. Is there any truth to what I have been, I have read, that even if we got it there, they don't have the pilots necessary to use all of the equipment. Therefore, you will have made a provocative move with no chance of it succeeding because you won't have the people to actually fly the planes okay that's yeah. the that's the question general it's a very good question from bellingham washington we will get the answer from frankfurt germany when we come back we do have to pause 1-800-723-8029 if you have a comment or question from chicago i'm bruce dubon coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyond the beltway every sunday night Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, 
Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, before the break, Mike Miller had a good question for the general. General, uh, you've had three minutes to come up with an answer. What is it? What was that question again? Mike, quickly. I, <laughs> this oh, it had to do with, with the, uh, let's assume we give them the planes. We yeah. give them anything, artillery. Do they actually have the people to use to them effectively? See, the whole point right. is you're being provocative. Right. And being provocative is fine as long as you can follow through and therefore have some idea of the consequence of your action. And I just wonder, we give them all these planes, a provocative action, no doubt, and then that results and they can't even fly them I, if there are no people. I, okay. uh, I don't know the Ukrainian uh, you know, Air Force uh, compared to, say, uh, any other Air Force. And do they actually have the people who could do it? Ben? Yeah, they they do. They do have the pilots that are. Uh, they just don't have the planes. Um, they they need uh, the aircraft. Now, of course, aircraft. It's not like getting a bunch of rental cars. You've got to have the maintenance. You've got to have the planes. Yeah. And of course, the Russians will come after uh, these airfields. But the Russian air force has not been terribly impressive. They've lost a lot of aircraft themselves to uh, Ukrainian air defense. So it, this is about giving the Ukrainians the capability to challenge, uh, go to go after the Russian Navy, mm-hmm. for example, uh, and to go after these places that are la- launching long-range mm-hmm. fires that are killing innocent civilians. I, I spoke uh, yesterday with uh, a retired admiral from Ukraine who uh, follows this. He knows the numbers and so on. And he said, you know, being able to fly, that's 
pallets are not the problem. Uh, they they need okay. But I would challenge the premise that somehow this is being provocative. The, the Kremlin does not need provocation to do what they do. That's been the narrative all along. Yeah. Is like, you know, somehow it's always our fault that they had to invade somebody else. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> right. Uh, this is we got to we got to push back on that. Right. Uh, on the on the issue. Uh, because we've been reading for actually a couple of weeks now is a variety of countries are sending in uh, stingers. They're sending in javelins, not just the United States, but other NATO countries. Uh, you know, three three more billion dollars going in from the United States, uh, uh, you know, in the coming weeks. How does all of how do all of those munitions get into the country? Uh, are, are they all going to Poland? And uh, how are things divide it up and what what is the coordination of all this world effort that's already happening uh, general so actually there's over 20 countries that are involved including several nations from around the world outside of nato so this is a Good. growing effort of people uh, recognizing that russia is the aggressor here Good. and and people want to support ukraine who are they as, who are, some of these other, who are some of the other countries? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, Australia, for example. Okay. Um, and uh, Japan has also indicated that mm -hmm. they're supporting. So it, it is more than just NATO yeah. countries. But, you know, the uh, U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Army are the, are the best in the world when it comes to large-scale logistics. And uh, our great Air Force is working overtime now, bringing stuff towards Poland. But you're not going to have U.S. Air Force flying into Ukraine, right. just like you're not going to have U.S. Army logisticians driving trucks into Ukraine. So right. Poland is the principal uh, sort of distribution hub where things come to it. And then you've got Ukrainian or contract vendors come get it and take it to where it's distributed mm -hmm. around Ukraine where it's needed. There are still some aircraft that are able to fly into Ukraine from different places, uh, but those would be, again, contract aircraft or Ukrainian aircraft that are doing that. Now, Putin has said that uh, those uh, munitions uh, trains uh, or, you know, buses, uh, that's their, their fair game. I mean, uh, it's, it's war, and if they're doing that, they could be knocked out. Isn't that fair? That doesn't surprise if I, me. If, if I was the Russian commander, I would be trying to cut off the uh, lines of communication also. So I think everybody assumes that they're going to try to do that. Um, the, the strike on Yavariv uh, training area that happened yesterday, yeah. uh, that was by a Russian bomber that launched about 30 cruise missiles into this uh, big training area. Right. Uh, that probably was uh, an attempt to disrupt logistics resupply and to demonstrate that they have the ability General, you, you said something uh, about 20 minutes ago that caught my eye. Obviously, uh, a lot of things did. But you made the comment that Vladimir Putin doesn't have a red button, and it's one push of a button and nuclear war starts. He is surrounded by people. What can you tell us about those who are surrounding uh, Vladimir Putin, and uh, how many are there, and what roles do they have, and would they actually uh, tell, tell Putin no? Uh, well, that, that is a great question, Bruce. Um, and I'm going to defer to Mike. No, no. The, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I read something yesterday, but there are criminologists, you know, study, they know who's who, they know the birthday, yeah. they know what school, they know all these things. Uh, 
And it's that Lavrov, this was a little bit of a surprise to me, that Lavrov is not in the inner circle. This is the foreign minister, Lavrov, who's a career diplomat there, mm-hmm. who's as big a liar as any of them, but he somehow has meant, you know, sort of was accepted around Europe and um, as a distinguished statesman. But he's not in the inner circle. And we're starting to also see uh, scapegoating, which always happens when you have failure. Um, the FSB, which is the Russian intelligence service, is kind of the uh, follow-on to the KGB. Now they're being publicly criticized for failing to have accurate intelligence and that sort of thing. So uh, I love this, by the way, when they start gnawing on each other, um, that this is a good thing. Gerasimov, who is the chief of the general staff, and Shoigu, who is the minister of defense, I haven't seen or heard uh, too much public criticism of them. Of course, I can't read the, the Russian language stuff, but I just mm. I haven't seen that like I've seen other criticisms, uh-huh. which is a little bit of a surprise because they, they basically own the effort. I mean, they're responsible yeah. for this. Right. A general... Uh, and Mike, thank you very much. We are out of time for hour number one. Uh, Lieutenant General Ben Hodges has joined us from Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, Professor Mike Miller has joined us uh, from DePaul, uh, DePaul University, has joined us from Bellingham, Washington. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us in hour number one and hour number two. We will continue the discussion uh, with Major General retired uh, uh, from uh, Bill Myers of the United States Marine Corps and also Josh Cantrell. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Another full hour coming up talking about the war in Ukraine. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 
180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we say farewell to our guests of our number one, but we welcome two more great guests in our number two. Josh Cantrell joins us. He is a regular guest on this program. He is an attorney. He is a Republican, and cybersecurity law is his area of expertise, and uh, also a major uh, Bill Myers, U.S. Marine Corps, retired. He returns from a couple of weeks ago on this program. And Bill joins us from Indianapolis, Indiana. And, Bill, your area of expertise is uh, is tactics and, and, and military weaponry. You've taught that at the U.S. Marine Corps uh, uh, camp at uh, at Quantico, Virginia. So we thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, l- let me pick up with you, which is something we touched on in our number one, Bill, and that is I- explain to us... Um, these fighter planes that Poland wanted to to give to uh, Ukraine. Now they were Meg fighters, correct? Correct. Is a Meg fighter a very good airplane? Yes, yes, they're okay. uh, they're very good. I don't know how old the models are that the the, the Poles were going to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they probably are a little bit more primitive than a, a typical. Um, uh, contemporary American fighter, perhaps, but uh, but yeah, they're very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the uh, if the NATO countries, because uh, there are some NATO countries that may have them in their stockpile as well, uh, if they were to gather them and send them uh, to a central force for the Ukraine fighters to come and and fly them out, uh, do you have any idea how many numbers we're talking about? Do you know how, how I, no, unfortunately, I, I don't have any idea about that. Okay. Josh Cantrell, where do, you, where do you come down on the battle between those that think there should be a no-fly zone, and that was discussed rather extensively in our number one, and, uh, and uh, an alternative plan, which is to find some planes that could be loaned to uh, Ukraine, either from Poland or some other country, uh, even though Vladimir Putin has said that uh, uh, that is an act of war. Uh, your reaction, or a possibility of World War III, your reaction? Well, I want to do anything that uh, avoids uh, the possibility of World War III, and uh, I'm very much against the no-fly zone. Uh, This idea of uh, providing um, fighter, uh, fighter equipment to Poland, um, and they would then provide equipment to Ukraine is interesting, but I'm 
on the side of being very cautious about uh, involving NATO in the actual fighting. Now, let me ask you this question, because some people have suggested that uh, what we're hearing and what we're watching now is a, is a replay of 1938 uh, with Germany uh, invading Poland and the world basically sitting by and watching millions upon millions of people get slaughtered. Uh, where the United States uh, stood by and did nothing or closed their eyes until a few years later. Uh, many of those that were murdered, as you know, uh, were, were Jews in the, in the concentration camps. Um, is there a comparison between sitting on our hands and closing our eyes now and doing the same thing back in 1938 and 1939? No, no, there's not. And I am very sympathetic being Jewish myself to that argument. Um, but in 1938, uh, Germany didn't have nuclear weapons. Russia has nuclear weapons, and that changed the, the whole equation. We cannot afford World War III uh, with a nuclear power. Okay. My question to you, Bill Myers, you're a military background. Uh, we've heard people uh, on both sides uh, with military backgrounds speak on this issue. Uh, what is your position on it? Is a no-fly zone or an abbreviated or redefined no-fly zone, as we discussed with the planes from, uh, uh, f you know, meg, meg fighters, is that something that, that sends us to World War Three? So all of this, of course, is unknowable. Right. Uh, we don't know where Putin will, will go with what provocation, but... Uh, there's a war on right now, and it impacts us in this country. It impacts the entire world. The, the entire balance of world power is being tested at this moment. And uh, I think for us to sit back and, and be just super cautious and, 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 and uh, you know, hang to this, this fear of, of this nuclear devastation, and, and I'm not proposing anybody wants to go near that. We don't want to find those tripwires, but right. there's a fight on, and as long as we keep avoiding it, the, the, the opponent will continue to attack. Now he's in Ukraine. We don't know where he goes next. I think we have to be bolder and stronger, we being the West, and be prepared for a fight. We need to make it known that, you know what, um, we'll do it, whatever it is. Uh, and, and play Putin's card against himself. Uh, you know, he's, he's thrown these challenges at us. I, I think we need to stand up and go, well, okay, let's see what happens. Josh, we're gonna, what about we're it? We're going to send planes, uh, et cetera. Josh, what about it? This is the same debate we had in hour number one. Uh, we had a difference between uh, uh, our military guest and our non-military guest about it. Um, uh, your thought, I mean, is it, I mean, when, when do we stand up and fight and say, uh, you know, it isn't just sanctions. I mean, are, are sanctions really working? Have we given it enough time to work? Uh, and, and again, how do, you change, how do you change the mind of a guy that has no problem in, uh, in, in bombing the hell out of a, an apartment building or a maternity ward? Well, that's, that's all true. And it's, we're dealing with someone who is, appears to be somewhat unhinged here. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think the sanctions could uh, really kick in. We should have done sanctions a lot earlier. We, pro we may have been able to avoid this whole conflict if the sanctions had been ratcheted up months ago. But in the but meantime, in event, thousands of people are being killed. 
In the meantime, thousands of people are being killed, and, uh, and, and the free nations of the world are basically standing back and saying, you know what, this doesn't meet the letter of the law because they're not in NATO, we're not really going to be involved. And, and again, you have a president, and you have uh, literally every member of the parliament that I have seen or every person that's been interviewed, I mean, they're pretty singular. They want one thing. They want a no-fly zone, or, or they, want, uh, they want their skies uh, protected. I mean that that we cannot not do a no fly zone that engages us in a potential air fight with Russia with Russian fighters which would then be a war not between just Ukraine and Russia but between Russia and NATO or Russia and the Aren't US. we just gambling that Josh we don't really know that though. We think that. And again Vladimir Putin has said World War 3 and I think very mistakenly, our president has used that term World War Three over and over again, including when he leans in and says, World War Three. I mean, I hate when he does that. But the reality is, should the president of the United States be raising the specter of World War Three? When I think that that is we don't know that's the case. We think it might be the case. Is he scaring people unnecessarily? Josh. We we don't know it's that will be the case. You're you're right, and we don't. I I hear the people who say let's call Putin's bluff, but gosh, I mean, the stakes. We've never been in a situation like this where we're calling the bluff of someone who possesses the most nuclear warheads of any country in the world. Okay. Bill Myers, we're going to come back to you when we return. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. 
Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, Bill Myers, my question to you is, where, do, where are you getting your news as a former military guy, uh, now retired, uh, where do you get your news? Actually, I get it the same place almost everybody else does. I, I scan multiple um, multiple news sites. I try mm-hmm. to pick ones that uh, that will show a, a factual sort of a basis. Uh, here's here's actual information, mm-hmm. and um, uh, just scan multiple do you, sites. Do you think that the United States citizens, who let's say maybe don't go to the uh, uh, the inside sources? But they go to CNN or Fox or MSNBC or or the three major uh, networks, four major networks. Do you feel that they are getting um, a good, healthy dose of truth when they watch those newscasts, or are we are we getting just our propaganda? Well, I would say it, depending. As you scan each one of those, of course, you're going to get kind of a predictable yeah. um, uh, presentation. Uh, each one of them, yes, I think is kind of full, of, not full of, but uh, laced with an awful lot of emotion, uh, very much surface level human interest. Right. Um, we heard a bomb go off and that was scary sort of stuff. And it's, it's not really information that most of us can work right. with. And it doesn't help, I don't think, uh, to... For, for most of us to, to look out and, and understand truly what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. Josh, how do you feel about that? Do, do you? I, I agree with with everything Bill said, and I pick up on a comment that you made last week, Bruce, on the show, which I thought was great. Um, and the news media did not has not, in my view, taken up your suggestion, and that is to compare these cities that are getting bombed to a U.S. city, so that we yeah. can have a sense of how big they are, both from a population standpoint and from a square mile standpoint. We have no idea. And I, I just think this goes back to a lack of, um, in journalism, it's gotten to, you know, where everything is clickbait and, and you, you want to get the, the most clicks and foreign policy really hasn't been there for years. And so what we're seeing are journalists who are kind of uh, have a deer in their headlights look um, and the information has not been, been all that helpful. Mm-hmm. 
Well, they're also describing uh, the human interest aspect. They're talking about, obviously, the women and children being bombed. I mean, the, the, the sad pictures at the, uh, uh, at the Polish camps that are welcoming the Ukraine uh, women and children. I mean, it is the, the crushed uh, railroad cars. I mean, this is a, it's a major humanitarian and refugee problem, which needs to be covered. It is an element of war. But, I mean, I don't believe any of those pictures are being shown in Russia. And when I hear people describe that, you know, well, this is going to turn on Vladimir Putin when uh, when he sees, you know, body bags, hundreds of body bags coming back and, and, the, and the, the Russian mothers of these killed soldiers are going to somehow rebel. I mean, I, I doubt very much whether... The concept of body bags on television is a concept that that Russia knows anything about, Bill, or or do they from from previous involvements uh, in Chechnya and Georgia? I mean, is there a history that that uh, that type of devastating uh, one-on-one sympathy uh, photography uh, does it really does it turn the tide of public opinion in Russia? I don't have the sense that it does. Um, I, I certainly don't believe that they have quite the access to, to relentless media that we do. Um, plainly, the, the state monitors and controls an awful lot of the, of the uh, information that's distributed. And um, so from a propaganda standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're not going to see a lot of the stuff that we might see here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ultimately, I get a sense that maybe uh, the the higher levels of the the Russian political uh, hierarchies, uh, talking specifically about Putin and his inner circle, just don't care what the people want. Um, they're they're playing international strategic. Um, I don't want to say gamesmanship, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the game. That's the the field that they're on, and um, they kind of don't care what a farmer thinks. Yeah. Well, the, the, the one thing I would add, Bruce, is that there was a reason that the uh, Soviet Union eventually got out of Afghanistan. And there was, I think, uh, a lot of body bags and pressure um, at some point. But right now, I don't see it because Putin's got total media blackout, total control over the media. And we're, we're seeing what a repressive regime really looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russian people are not, <laughs> they're not being uh, informed. And in, and until they're informed, the hope that there's going to be this groundswell um, rising up against Putin, uh, I think, is, is pure folly. Yeah. Because it's going to take a while um, for the economic sanctions to really kick in and impact the uh, average Russian citizen. We have a caller on the line, Ben from El Paso, Texas. KTSM, go ahead, Bill. Ben, rather. Ben. Are you there, Ben? Yes, can you hear me? I can. You sound Hello? great. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, nobody else has been talking this over the weekend. I've been listening to news channels and everything. But I, I'd like to know a little bit about what the panel thinks about the, uh, the biolabs uh, controversy in, in Ukraine. Victoria Newland had, uh, was talking to uh, Marco Rubio and sort of let the cat out of the bag. And 
have they ever heard have they ever heard of a, a company called Meta Metabiota Metabiota and uh, the con the uh, connection with Hunter Biden with that company. Do you know anything about that, uh, Ben or Josh? And again, can you speak to the broader issue of the threat of uh, bio and chemical uh, weapons? I don't know anything about that and the connection to Hunter Biden. There's a lot of allegations about you know the Bidens and uh, their connections to, to Ukraine. But I think right now we have to focus on on what, what's what's important here, and that is alleviating the suffering of the Ukrainian people and helping Ukraine out in any way we can and the best way we can while at the same time avoiding a potential confrontation with a nuclear power. Um, I'm very concerned about um, the not only chemical weapons but all there I think Ukraine has 15 nuclear plants. Who's safeguarding those plants? The people mm -hmm. That's already an incredibly stressful job. Can you imagine bombs flying around you? Well, they've already like, attacked one. Be like the work? Russians have already yeah. attacked one. And, and there's 14 others. And, I mean, that is a, just a catastrophe waiting to happen. Bill, so that is a big concern. Bill, a question to you. Thank you very much for your, for your question, caller. Bill, a question to you. When when Vladimir Putin a couple of weeks ago said that he was going to put his nuclear uh, you know, team uh, on alert, Everyone thought that, you know, this was forerunner of, of, of a World War II, World War III attack. But then there was this explosion uh, after the attack on, on the Chernobyl uh, nuclear plant. Could that have been what he was thinking about? I mean, isn't there a way, uh, if, if they know where these nuclear plants are, couldn't they think of just bombing these nuclear plants and that would be their, their use of uh, uh, nuclear capability? It would be nuclear. It would be a nuclear explosion, but done in a conventional, you know, warfare way. It could certainly be done. Um, it, you know, the thing with any any use of a nuclear weapon by anybody is going to um, uh, make the make the ground barren, make the that that area of the world uh, basically unusable for decades or longer. Mm -hmm. um, I. Nobody knows what's in Putin's mind, but that's that is so far down the road of, of destruction. And I, I think that the, the Russians must surely recognize that while while we're very afraid, it seems, of them starting a nuclear war with us, we could do the same to them. Right. Uh, you know, so randomly blown up uh, nuclear plants and things like that is not something they can do without the, the concept of, of this might turn on us really badly. How do you think that uh, President Xi of China is uh, reacting to uh, the way in which the Russian army is conducting themselves and the way in which President Biden and the West are reacting to this diplomatically? Well, I, I would think that uh, China would see a united West uh, with a lot of divisions coming together uh, to confront Russia. And so I, to me, I'm heartened by that, how quickly the sanctions were put in place. Again, I wish they would have been done months ago, but in any event, they were put in place. 
and the West is united. So to me, that gives me a lot of uh, hope. But at the same time, uh, he's seeing that the that NATO and the West are not engaging militarily. So that would be a concern if I were Taiwan, um, as would the hasty withdrawal that we did from Afghanistan. Bill, that would concern me if I was in Taiwan. Bill, what's your response? I, well, my my concern with this whole issue, the the war as it stands right now, is that this is a a massive strategic uh, game changing moment in history, where the balance of power, the balance of influence can shift. And I, I truly believe that that this, the Russians and the Chinese and, and the world are looking at the West. And I know that the, the NATO countries have come together and etc. But I would say we're showing no leadership, especially from our, our own White House. Uh, we're, we're not on the offensive. I'm not saying militarily. I'm saying we're not rallying the world to we're going to put a stop to this thing. Bill, we've got to pause. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Bruce Dumont. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. 
Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Doug Dunlap is listening to us this evening from his palatial home. Nice to have you with us, Doug. And uh, Josh Cantro and uh, Major Bill Myers uh, join us this evening, and I want, want to let each of them take a moment uh, to explain who they are. Bill, tell us a little bit about your background. I mentioned United States Marine Corps, retired many, many years, but uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your areas of service to the country. Hey, well, very briefly, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, graduate of Indiana University. I was in the Marine Corps for 27 years. I was an infantry officer most of that time, uh, an enlisted infantryman before that. Uh, a lot of my expertise turned out to be in weaponry, uh, machine guns, anti-tank, uh, anti-mechanized weapons, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so that's how I spent most of my time uh, when I was on active duty. And uh, since I retired a few years ago, I've done a number of different things. I spent a lot of time teaching leadership based on my military experience. And I, I would say that's kind of the common theme of what I've done. But now I'm double retired and back living in the same cornfield I was raised in. And life is good. Josh Cantrell. That does sound like a good life, uh, Bill. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Um, I'm uh, originally from Louisiana and uh, moved up to Chicago about... Uh, I don't know, 26 years ago now, and uh, for professional reasons, and uh, my wife is from here. Uh, also lived for uh, two short stints in London, and um, I've traveled uh, quite a bit. Um, uh, I write, I blog, I um, consider myself a moderate Republican, and I love appearing on this show and talking about interesting issues. Um, and Bill nailed it. Just a moment ago, we're at a turning point in history, and um, I agree 100% with him that we do not have the presidential leadership. Uh, I have great, grave concerns right now. Do you think that things would be better if Donald Trump was still president? 100%. Why? This wouldn't have happened if Donald Trump would have been president. Why? This would not have happened. And of course, I can't prove that, but no. it's just, you look at... The peace and prosperity that we enjoyed during the Trump years, it seems like the golden era. And, um, but, you know, he sent out mean tweets and some people didn't like his personality. So 40,000 votes um, swung the other way. And we have Biden who, who made the critically critical mistake of inviting Ukraine into NATO back in November probably triggered all of this. So this is just, we are, I, I hope the never Trumpers, I hope those moderate Republicans and the independents and moderates, I hope they're happy. I hope they're happy with the state of the world. Bill Myers, uh, your reaction to that statement? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this because it's kind of what I was hoping we talk about on the show. Uh, I, I, not to get into policy, Donald Trump was a strong guy. He is a strong guy. He's a leader. And uh, I, I think truly, if he were the president, Putin would not have done this. And it kind of goes down to personality versus personality. 
Putin looks across the table at Donald Trump and he thinks, you know, this guy's going to fight me, whatever that means. Uh, I, I can't I can't do some crazy thing and think this guy's not going to come right back at me with a credible response of some sort. Right now, uh, he looks across the table and he sees, unfortunately, the leadership here in the United States. And I kind of think a, a lot of it around the world, too. Uh, and he says, I'm going to do this and we cringe. And, and I don't think this would be going on if we had stronger leadership. Mm hmm. It's a personality thing. No, I, I think yeah, you're, and, I think you're and right. And if I could just add one thing. Yeah, Josh. The vice president, what a disaster. She was over um, in Eastern Europe, uh, couldn't put two sentences together, didn't know basic facts, and uh, it's scary that she's one heartbeat away. Uh, let's go to calls. Let's go to Al listening to us in Lake Forest, Illinois. He's got a question or comment. Go ahead, Al. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for taking my uh, call. Well, here's my, my question to 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 both uh, your your guests and to you, Bruce. Yeah. We have been at war for the last 20 years. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya. I want to know with this. When does it end? When do we stop getting in wars? And by the way, from my perspective, I'm not a military expert, but it looks to me like we lost all those they all ended badly all right let's so, let let's let bill you myers know, you respond. want to criticize me fire away we're not going to criticize no. you i don't think but uh, uh go go back uh, to you bill while you respond first why so many Al, that's, ready for the Al, that's a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful comment and and you're voicing what we all feel nobody wants to go to another war anywhere uh nobody's advocating that but unfortunately uh in this case, the Russians have started a war that the West has to respond to. Um, what the response ends up being, I don't know. But, um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, we don't want to be the world's policemen. The issue to me is we have to be the leaders of the world. We're the good country. We're the one that sets the model for the rest of the world. And the responsibility is we have to be that country like it or not and frankly there's not much to like about the idea of going to another war nobody wants to do it but this other guy started it josh i i would uh, agree with everything bill said and i would add this that um you know to al's point i t i mostly agree with with him although after 9 11 we had to go to afghanistan iraq turned out but we to didn't be have to stay mistake. there for 20 years but, but 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 in any event, um, what Trump was trying to do is to make it so that the U.S. is not the policeman of the world, so that NATO members actually contribute what they're supposed to do. And uh, he was made he was having success in that effort. And then Biden comes into office, and all bets are off, and they renege on their deal. So. I want us to be in a position where we're not fighting constant wars. And part of that is strengthening NATO. It's strengthening other countries so that they can tend to their neighborhoods. And we can focus on what we all want to focus on, domestic affairs. Al, let me ask you this question. We have mm -hmm. all heard in our lifetime that the United States is the greatest nation on Earth. We have the greatest military on Earth. We spend the most money on keeping our military at a level. 
And I guess my question to you would be, if you're investing all of this money into building a military industrial complex, why should you not use it once in a while for good when the situation arises? Why sit well, with the greatest the and never test it? It's all, it's all on the shelf. Well, we have been testing it. We have been using it in the Middle East, and it's, it has worked out badly. But have we, have but have we used have we used a war have, in the last twenty years? But but have we used all that we could use in those wars, Bill? Do you think oh, that you mean we didn't? You, well, okay, I'm just we, I'm just saying. You mean we didn't do enough war? Well, I'm going to ask Bill. Bill, do you think we maxed out in any of those wars that uh, uh, that Al is re- referencing? Could we have done better in any of those wars? I think we probably could have. I also think that the, the Americans, the, the United States as a people, run up against a, kind of a, a moral bulkhead that I, I would say the Chinese or the, or the Russians will run right over. And so we, we're not willing to go kind of where you have to go to win some of these conflicts, um, like maybe so we can sleep at night, I suppose. But mm-hmm. but uh, no, I don't think we've we've ever gone as hard and as far as we should have in order to achieve a victory. In this particular case, the other day I learned that that Russia has more nuclear warheads than the United States, has more than any nation in the world. How did that happen, Bill? How did they get more nuclear weapons than we have? I do not know. Um, I, I do know that that. We have plenty. We have enough. They have enough. Uh, so I guess when you get to maybe the counting numbers, we all have more than we need. And and I assume that with all of the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been spent in the last 50 years, we have the ability to defend against a nuclear attack on the United States from a foreign power from foreign soil. Is that a misconception that I have as I go to sleep each night? I think we can certainly put up a credible defense against, I, I assume you're talking about a catastrophic nuclear yes, assault. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but we, I don't think we could knock down, say the Russians sh- shot everything they had at us, we're not going to knock all those down. And so okay. how many cities do we lose? Uh, how much territory and, and vice versa they fire they fire at us we shoot at them the same thing mm-hmm. happens in their world um I, yeah once once but we got to that threshold everybody loses we have a significant number of people uh sitting at cheyenne mountain now who have uh, their uh, their hands on the buttons and watching are watching the dials to make sure that they never have to use the power that is before them and that should be enough to protect most of the United States, but not all of the United States. If I can suggest, we Putin started the discussion about oh, this could turn into a nuclear confrontation. Um, I've got I got to stop. I, I got Bill. I'm sorry. I got to stop you for a second. I don't want to have okay. you stop in the middle of, of your uh, narrative here. But we do have to break one eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. When we come back, Bill Myers will share that thought on the protection of the United States. How comfortably can you sleep at night 
knowing that big government, big defense department, is protecting you. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger for 24 hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone, you know, call 1-800-662-HELP brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back uh, on our broadcast this evening. I uh, should mention that for those, uh, we've got a couple of uh, notes this evening. If you see a little bandage on my bandage on my ear, you can't see this on radio, obviously, but I got a little bandage on my ear. I had uh, some uh, skin cancer uh, surgery on my ear, in my ear, this past week, and hopefully they told me they got rid of all the wow. cancer, but it looks looks like I may have lost a, a fight. My, my 
ear feels like it's a cauliflower ear at the moment. But a little painful, but the show must go on. Uh, before the break, I asked Bill, uh, as a military guy, uh, what are your concerns? Do you, do you sleep comfortably at night knowing that uh, the people at Cheyenne Mountain and around the world are, have you have your body protected and your family protected from nuclear war? Well, I sleep comfortably at night, and yeah. I think that we're as protected as we can be. Uh, we're probably better protected than anyone else. Yeah. But uh, you know, as we spoke a moment ago, uh, that that possibility of a nuclear Holocaust is uh, uh, just everybody loses. Okay, let's go to calls. Johnny is listening to us in El Paso, Texas. Johnny, go ahead. Are you there? KTSM. Hello, Johnny. Uh, I'm here. Well, go. Speak. You're on the air. How are you? Yeah, I've got to uh, correct your uh, your guests. The United States has a basically a two to one advantage of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, I'm just looking at a, a one of the counts. I think the United States apparently, as of last year, had thirteen thousand eighty uh, nuclear warheads. The Russians have about half, six thousand two hundred and fifty five. Okay. But the the bigger picture is. If we go to war in the Ukraine, or even if we don't go to war, if war happens in the Ukraine, they the Ukraine is 25% of the world's topsoil. Yeah. 25% of the world's topsoil is in the Ukraine. Yeah. Those farmers are not preparing for planting season because they're already going into hiding. Uh, they're probably getting blasted to bits. So if 25% of the world's topsoil is in jeopardy because of a war, you can count on food prices going eight uh, this uh, this spring, uh, this summer. All right, let's uh, let our guests awesome. respond to that. And by the way, I, I, I misspoke. Uh, this is David. He's calling from San Francisco. He's a frequent right. caller to the yeah. program. So, uh, uh, Josh... Uh, do you know about uh, this issue of uh, agriculture? I believe the uh, Ukraine's been called the breadbasket uh, of Europe. I am familiar with that. I didn't know that it was as high as 25%, but thank you for that. And that just adds to the inflationary pressures that we're already seeing in this country. It's not just about energy, but it's about, as the caller pointed out, uh, agriculture. And, you know, this thing could have been what about it what about and our oil price what about our oil prices a lot of mistakes by the biden administration i want to i want to go to a uh, bill bill but josh is having a little uh communication issue with his zoom so i want to go to you to see if we can get that repaired but i want to get your reaction bill to uh, how all of this is tied to oil prices and how long the american people will continue to support, at least uh, in public opinion polls, what's going on in Ukraine if it becomes apparent to them, or at least it's perceived by, by, by many, that uh, the price of oil is going up because what's happening in Ukraine and what Russia is trying to do with the price of oil. Is there a chance that the public... As I started to mention earlier in the show, the war is on, and we look at the news, and we see uh, some Russian tanks getting blown up and and refugees fleeing. 
the scope of this thing is way bigger already. Uh, you know, the, the oil prices are going to go up. The, I didn't know that about the, the amount of soil uh, yeah. either. So uh, it's going to affect us at the grocery stores. I mean, this thing is going to have an effect here at home right away and is going to keep getting worse. And we, we simply cannot stick our head in the sand and, and fail to respond in a strategic way, by which I do not mean militarily. Mm-hmm. But uh, by marshalling the, the powers of the West and, and applying literally every single pressure point we can against the Russians, um, we, we have to do something. And if I can, if I can make a comment, sure. in World War II, the, the Germans introduced the Blitzkrieg lightning war they attack fast with you know huge panzer mm-hmm. armies and and etc and we have studied that here in the united states and, and we we currently most of our doctrine is based on what we call maneuver warfare based on blitzkrieg and it's all about rapid rapid attacks powerful rapid attacks at strategic targets at unexpected places uh changing the battlefield taking the battle someplace the bad guys aren't um confusing them with so many challenges and in a strategic sense, we can do that with economics. We can do that with information warfare. We can we can move. I, I'm making this up as I go along. We could move a lot of troops up into the into um, Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia, and suddenly cause the Russians to think, "My land, what's going on up here?" So there's tons and tons of things that we could do strategically that could start to unravel the Russian focus on Ukraine. But we can't let them monopolize this. This operation. Did the attack in the in Western Ukraine last night, uh, where thirty five people were killed, uh, how badly did that disturb you? Well, it certainly causes all of us to wonder. Uh, he's only ten miles away from the border, ten or twelve miles away from the yeah. border of a NATO country. Um, is he willing to push it that hard? Is he is he willing to come right up to a mile outside the border? And this mm-hmm. is this is tough guy tactics, I think. You yeah. know, this is this is Mr. Bully Putin saying, hey, check it out. What I'm going to hit you hard again. Yeah. Give me your milk, your, your lunch money. And yeah, again, he can't, he can't be happy. That. I would also add... We're out of time. We can Josh, do- we're out of time. We're out of time. Thanks very much for being with us, but we're out of time. Uh, the other thing is that uh, he, uh, he cannot be happy with the reports suggesting that uh, uh, his troops are not doing well. Our thanks to Bill Myers and Josh Cantro. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Fritz Goldman, by the way, has been here this evening. He is here every Sunday night uh, keeping me alive, keeping me alert, keeping me on the air. And uh, he is a hell of a guy and a true key member of the Beyond the Beltway team. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything to the contrary. In fact, we're looking for that guy that will say that to the contrary. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much to our guest, Bill Myers, Major Retired United States Marine Corps, Josh Cantrell in this hour, and Major General Ben Hodges, and uh, the ever-popular Mike Miller in hour number one. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer 
are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. 